This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. CARP's VP Advocacy is just back from a national tour. She'll share what she's learned from Zoomers like you. And the former commander of the United Nations Forces in Rwanda is in the studio this week. Former Lieutenant General and former Senator Romeo Dallaire has written his memoir about his very public battle with PTSD. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Some older drivers have decided not to hang up the keys because of a lack of transportation alternatives, even if it's no longer safe for them to be behind the wheel. That's the conclusion of a new study released by the Conference Board of Canada, which determined that while some Zoomers are dependent on their cars for longer than they should be, many of them have few other options if they wish to maintain their independence and mobility. Study author Daniel Monroe says either seniors will decrease their travel when they don't have alternatives, which leads to poor health and quality of life, or... Some will continue to drive even as their physical and mental capacities decline, which creates risk for themselves and others. If you could take a blood test that would predict whether your child could be at risk for heart disease, would you? A study in England screened thousands of babies for inherited risk from cholesterol and found it twice as common as had been thought. The study also revealed that parents who had the condition but didn't know it had passed it on to their children. 90% of them started taking preventive medicines after finding out. You can read about the study in the New England Journal of Medicine. Cecilia Hart, a stage and screen actress, has died at the age of 68 from ovarian cancer. Hart, who was married to actor James Earl Jones, received a Drama Desk Award nomination in 1977 for Dirty Linen and Newfoundland on Broadway and had many TV shows to her credit, including Three's Company, MacGyver, and Law & Order. Hart and Jones had been married for 34 years. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. CARP, a new vision of aging, held its annual general meeting earlier this week. VP Advocacy Wanda Morris headed into it with a renewed agenda after crisscrossing the country to get the real stories from Zoomers coast to coast. She joins me in studio. What a treat to go visit our chapters from coast to coast. I uh, met so many amazing people. Such We have such, we're so fortunate in our volunteers. And they also uh, provide us with opportunities to speak to, uh, I know, our larger group of members and also some key uh, political influencers, which was just super. Give me an idea, maybe uh, 
region by region. Where did you go and what did you learn? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, we started off in, in uh, Nova Scotia, where we were uh, celebrating the, the retirement of one of our, our past chairs, Bill Van Gorder, and had a chance to, to do a number of things there. But some really interesting initiatives, actually, in the city of Halifax. They are one of the first age-friendly cities in Canada. And, of course, that's an issue that's really top of mind for CARP right now. Uh, as well, they had uh, some really creative things they were doing with volunteers. And, of course, Nova Scotia, I'm not sure if people know, but that's the one province that has the means-tested caregiver allowance that CARP's working for as part of our caregiver campaign. So lots of interesting things happening there. After Nova Scotia. Okay. Well, we went to Prince Edward Island and spoke in Charlottetown. And one of the issues there is that a lot of the medical treatment they need is off-island. And yet the cost, the toll of going over the Federation Bridge is really, really expensive. I think it was something like $60. Oh, okay. Uh, and so it's almost a barrier for people to get uh, to get medication. There's no seniors discount. So it, a real pocketbook issue for many of our members there. Then we uh, actually headed to the northern part of Ontario, had a chance to visit uh, Muskoka and North Bay. Uh, housing is a particular issue in the Muskoka area. And in North Bay, lots of concerns. And again, we, we heard these in other places about what's happening in Ontario with our health care. We know that the CCACs are being dismantled, that increasingly complex care is being downloaded uh, from hospitals into the community, and so many concerns about, uh, about how that's impacting our members and indeed vulnerable seniors. Uh-huh. And what about access to more home care? A huge issue. People are are pointing out that there's inequities depending on where you live in terms of how much home care you get. Uh, lots of inefficiencies in the system too that we are made aware of. You know, the Liberals have said that they want to make sure that the provinces give out more home care and that's going to be a condition of getting extra funding. Does it sound like that will work? You know, it's tricky. My my initial response to that was, well, of course it should be tied to uh, commitments by the provinces to actually spend that $3 billion on home care. And then uh, one of my colleagues at work said, well, Wanda, do we really want to be weighing into uh, federal-provincial negotiations and how those are done? So I, I, I guess I, I'll be a bit more cautious. But certainly I know there's a crying need for investment in home care and hope that something can be worked out. So as you're moving through the country towards the West, are you finding, have you found that uh, there are different concerns in different regions or is it pretty well the same things all across the country? There certainly are local issues. I think one of the ones that comes up in certain areas and not others is the cost of housing. Uh, we heard that a lot in the lower mainland, in the Toronto area, and uh, a bit in the outlying suburbs. Not really on the radar at the moment in Calgary, in the prairies. We also heard about elder abuse and, and vulnerable seniors. And some of our chapters are doing some really amazing work looking out for folks. In, in fact, we had a chance to meet with Justice Minister um, Susan Anton in BC and, and raise with her um, some of the, the policy issues that we have around elder abuse. Things like you know the need to train police forces and uh, make sure it's reported. Uh, in, I mean, here in Toronto, there's an elder abuse unit. And, and do you know that Toronto is the first city in Canada to have that elder abuse unit? And it's pretty new, and, and I'm really hoping that they'll be able to train other officers right across the country. One of the things that's been on our radar of late is the use of antipsychotics 
off prescription in long-term care facilities, a kind of chemical restraint that's used to sedate people. It helps uh, care facilities uh, deal with a large number of residents with a fewer number of staff people. So we, we had a chance to get some more information on that, and I, I see that as uh, hopefully something we'll be able to start advocating for in the future. Well, there there's been a lot of work on that. There's already been uh, advocating done by healthcare professionals because these drugs also they increase falls falls lead to very bad things as you know yes well and and i think you know as an accountant i i've always had the view that what gets measured gets managed and just to to talk about ontario for a moment i think what's really helpful here is that there's a number of of quality indicators that health quality ontario actually publishes for each of our long term care facilities including off diagnosis antipsychotics falls bed sores uh, you know, of course, we're all, I think, shook up by the deaths that we've just heard about in the care facility in, in Woodstock. For people wondering, you know, how do they protect their loved one and how do they know how their loved one is doing, we've just put up on our CARP website uh, a link to uh, that Health Quality Ontario information. Okay. Um, anything else that you want to talk about? Well, I think one of the things that that surprised me a bit on the tour, and and I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, was how many younger members that we have that are very actively engaged in CARP. Going across the country, we had many people in their early 50s who really identified as CARP members and were out there really working to make their communities a better place. I came back inspired and wanting to work with them to help us uh, ensure that that all Canadians are, are respected and have you know, financial security and great health care as we age. Okay, Wanda Morris, thanks so much. Okay, thank you very much. For more information, go to carp.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up after the break, we sit down with a retired Lieutenant General and Canadian Senator whose very public battle with PTSD is raising awareness and making Canadians confront the problem with understanding and compassion. Romeo Dallaire in studio when the Zoomer Week in Review returns. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. He was handed one of the most horrific commands in recent memory. Lieutenant General Romeo Dallaire watched as Rwandan Hutus slaughtered the minority Tutsis in one of the most horrifying acts of genocide in recent memory. Dallaire lived to see the dawn, but his life was forever changed from what he had seen. The scenes play over in his head as the former Canadian senator battles with post-traumatic stress disorder, something he has written about unflinchingly in his new book, Waiting for First Light. He joins me now. Welcome and thank you so much for being here. Nice of you to have us here. First of all, how are you? Reasonable and... uh uh, feisty when required, but uh, at a, a stage where uh, I can conduct a, a, a decent day's work. That's good. How long did it take you to get there? Oh, uh, it came in waves. I mean, uh, right from the start coming back, I was full-time employed because I didn't even recognize I had an injury. And uh, until I actually crashed in 98 for over six months and then was able to do uh, a bit of work but came back uh, full force for a year and a half but that was taking such a toll that they 
medically released me. And then from then on, I've been working reasonably full-time. And then in the Senate, of course, I uh, went full-time with a number of other activities and continue to keep myself very, very busy. One of the things you write about is that when it comes to post-traumatic stress, there, there's no time limit on it. No. In fact, time can be a very negative influence in as much as if it's not treated early, like any other injury, it will fester and it will get worse. And it's sort of like a cancer. It continues to grow. You've talked about soldiers coming back and committing suicide. Why is the military so slow to recognize the problem, to help people, even slow, I mean, not recognizing these as as death from battle? Well, they were slow because, one, we had no experience. We had lost all our, our wartime skills of taking care of people of that nature. And even during the previous wars, it was very poor in the capacity of how to help people. Uh, mental health uh, was uh, stigmatized and, and the like. And there wasn't that much capacity anyways. Uh, so we were stumbling really in a completely unknown scenario. Uh, and because of the nature of, of the military, the police, the firemen, anybody who wears uniform and proud of their uh, milieu, uh, tends to seek to not try to disgrace it. And so because there was such a, a negative perspective of this type of injury, which they couldn't see, people tended to want to hide it, which made it all the more difficult for organizations to comprehend what was happening to those individuals. Uh, and it it held back the help that should have come to the fore by the seniors who didn't want to sort of give an encouragement that that can be an injury. I'd like to talk about your family and the toll this took on your family? Well, the world in which we're in now is such that the families live the missions with us because of the extraordinary capabilities of the media, of the marvels of communications. And so there's no more such thing as the families being isolated far away and not knowing what's going on. On the contrary, they're very much aware of it. And, and that creates stresses and strains on them because they never know from one day to another. They're always listening on the TV or the radio and zapping just to make sure they, they catch that glimpse of information of of us being captured or, or, or whatever. So uh, there is a very subtle but a constant stress on the families uh, of these missions. Uh, and when the individuals come back, uh, they have suffered the stresses of their mission in the field, but they find a family that's also been under stress and has been affected. And so the whole group has been readjusted, and uh, some families require some very professional help to be able to restabilize and come back down to a level of normalcy, uh, having lived this experience and, and it, it fears and traumas, and uh, others simply don't even try to make it work and, and just bust up because there's just too much of that stress and the like. So in, in the case of my family, my mother-in-law made it clear that she would have not done World War II if she had to do what my wife went through for that whole year I was away because there was just too much of living the mission and, and constantly being on, on a state of anticipation of, of nothing but the worst, of course. What do you hope comes out of the writing of this book? 
No, the aim was very much to describe the inner workings of this injury uh, uh, more than the physical workings of it. It is to try to bring forward what your soul, what your mind is really uh, struggling with. And that depth, I hope, of description will help those who are uh, suffering to be able to now articulate clearer what's happening to them, to their family, to those around them. I think, uh, I hope it'll, it'll help those who know people who are uh, hurting from this injury, them being able to comprehend more uh, what is the ugly side of this injury and what people are living with. And then those who have nothing to do with that, to educate them on the fact that this injury is of such significance that it needs urgent care, it needs urgent support, uh, and certainly not be stigmatized as something uh, weird, but on the contrary, something that's simply not losing an arm. It's having your brain significantly affected. That was retired Lieutenant General Romeo Dallaire speaking about his new book, Waiting for First Light, My Ongoing Battle with PTSD. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. In a moment, we say goodbye to a teen idol from the 1960s. Bobby V passed away this week. That story when we return. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. A new musical called Something Rotten is packing Broadway's St. James Theater. It's set during the Renaissance when two brothers are desperate to write a hit play in Shakespeare's shadow. Their solution is to invent the musical. Something Rotten plays through the end of the year. The Littleton Theatre in London, England, is staging The Red Barn to rave reviews. It features two couples struggling to get home through a violent snowstorm after a party in 1969. In India, Mumbai's cultural and colonial history has been brought back to life with the reopening of the Royal Opera House. The Royal is India's only opera theater. It was built more than 100 years ago and had been closed since the 1990s. And in Bordeaux, France, there's a new museum dedicated to wine. It features permanent and revolving art exhibits with 127 interactive experiences, which are visual, auditory, and include wine tastings. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. The world lost one of the most popular singers of a generation this week. Bobby V died at the age of 73. Born Robert Thomas Valine in 1943, V got his big break in 1959 when he filled in for Buddy Holly after the singer died in a plane crash along with Richie Valens and the Big Bopper. V was 15 at the time of the crash, and along with a group of schoolboys, Bobby V played the engagement in Moorhead, Minnesota, and a star was born. 
He was signed by Liberty Records in 1959, but didn't hit the big time until the release of Rubber Ball in 1961. He then released a string of international hits, including The Night Has a Thousand Eyes, Come Back When You Grow Up, and Take Good Care of My Baby. He continued touring into 2011 when he was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's disease. He passed away October 24th in a hospice in Rogers, Minnesota. Right now, let's listen to that number one record for V, Take Good Care of My Baby. My tears are falling Cause you've taken her away And though it really hurts me so That was Bobby V with Take Good Care of My Baby. He passed away this week from Alzheimer's at the age of 73. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Snymer. Produced by Dave Woodard and Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.